Hi, and welcome to Scraps. I'm Jojo Platt, here with my better podcast half, Arun Sridhar. We've developed this podcast to help highlight and share the stories behind the science and scientists that influence our lives. Our mission is to make the process of scientific and technological discoveries better understood and to give you a more personal access to the people behind those discoveries. We'd like to ask you to take a moment or two and share scraps with your friends and family via social media and to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you have any topics or people that you'd like us to cover, shoot us a note. You can reach us through most every social media platform and through our website, scrapsofbrilliance.com. If a picture is worth a thousand words, no single image says more in 2020 than the moon-like gray sphere with angry triangular pom-poms and freckled orange invaders dotting its surface. This is now the ubiquitous rendering of the novel coronavirus. But this image that we all know and now loathe is more than just a graphic representation of a biological enemy. There are deliberate intentions and processes that go into the rendering of such an image. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with the creator of the CDC's now infamous coronavirus image, Alyssa Eckert. So you were you were asked to create this image back in January, well before the world went on lockdown. And um, did you have any inkling at the time that you were commissioned to do this of the magnitude of what you were working on? Uh, well, uh, I wouldn't say we had an inkling of where it was going to go. We knew there was something not right and there was something looming. We didn't know how big, but there was something that we needed to start preparing people for. Um, For the fact that the emergency operations center was open at CDC, that's a pretty big deal. Things like that have been done in the past for Ebola or H1N1, Zika, you know, so this was another big threat that was coming upon us. So we had to get ready and and start prepping all our materials and everything. so. So you have a behind the scenes heads up in a way. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think there were little rumblings in the news here and there, but in our world, it's talked about a lot more, I guess. <laughs> and you you previously mentioned that there were certain almost human-like characteristics um, that went into this image. Can you tell us more about what those characteristics were and how you distilled which character which characteristics were the most important? Um, so I'm thinking maybe you're talking about sort of the design and the realism that we use and that sort of thing and how we brought those features out. Yes. I think you had talked about, about wanting to convey, uh, danger and, and other, um, almost human characteristics. Yeah. So my idea was to use realism to sort of help someone understand that this thing actually exists. So that's why it it is this very bold, striking image sort of in your face. And it looks like that you could actually reach out and touch it Um, using realistic textures, maybe sort of a stony surface, the hard plush feel and um, uh, realistic lighting setups, all that kind of thing. And the whole point was to bring it back to impact and bringing out emotions and just putting it in your face so you know that this looming threat is real. That was sort of the goal. <laughs> yeah, that that's great. So I, I think it'll be useful to just pick 
a bit more into that thought process um, about how such a image came to be. Um, so clearly, you had a memo or at least ask from the people that you work with about why this needs to look a certain way. So can you actually just walk us through, uh, if, if you just rewind the clock and you'll basically go back to the day when this actually happened, just, just tell us how the sequence of events actually played out yeah. to ultimately for you to realize uh, and depict the human-like characteristics or of of the virus that you had to ultimately illustrate. So I assume this is a process. So, but it's about how this whole thing kind of came to play and how the process actually works uh, with you at CDC. Yeah. So it's it started in late January. It was actually January twenty first. I remember the night of, and it was a Tuesday night. I got a phone call from uh, one of our um, higher ups at CDC and within our division, and just letting us know that we're get ready essentially. So Dan and I both, Dan Higgins is the other person I worked with on this illustration. So immediately then we started doing our research on what we needed to do for the illustration, um, learning more about this coronavirus and what it is. We have general, because being, we are medical illustrators, we have general knowledge of how viruses are structured, but we needed to learn more about what makes up this particular virus and what proteins and all that. And what we were told that we needed something they wanted it to be a little bit um, editorial and eye-catching, sort of a little bit of drama to it, but nothing too overdone. Um, needed to be serious tone. That's pretty much all we were told. And uh, because they knew that we had the capabilities to do what they wanted, they were just kind of guiding us in that manner. And so Dan and I then the next day got together and started talking about what we were going to do. And um, after we did some research on the virus, we started looking around what was available on I don't know if you've heard of the protein data bank that's out there. Um, and at that time, there wasn't anything available for this particular SARS virus. So we had to um, improvise and uh, start pulling information pr- from the SARS or SARS virus and, um, and doing research on what this particular one was going to include. So we knew that the proteins that it was going to have to use. And we were also given um, information from the uh, GISAID and the GenBank, so the uh, genomes that were had just been posted and that sort of thing. And the so we were looking at the phylogenetic tree and all that. And so realizing that it's pre- pretty closely related to the old SARS virus. And so we then posed posed a lot of questions to the scientists at CDC. We just we didn't we don't want to bother them until we have everything together. We know, we have all our questions that we want to ask and get it all together and make a list and. And then I have our back and forth with them. And so then that's what we did. We, um, there, and they told us there wasn't really a lot that they could tell us at that time, you know, the distance between proteins or, you know, the number of them on the surface and that sort of thing. So we kind of have to improvise and do the best we can based off of pictures. I mean, not pictures, but electromicograph imagery and maybe previous illustrations in the past and just our, what we know to illustrate. And so at the same time, there was also a whole branding being developed because we knew this was going to be big, right? So a whole branding being developed at CDC by some of the graphic designers and they were developing some of the look and feel for the color palette for the whole branding. Um, So there was swatches that I guess that we could kind of choose from and see what worked for us. And so we knew that we needed to work with something that was going to be a public health alert and we needed to create something that was going to be 
thought provoking to people and make them realize that this was important. So we looked at the colors that we could choose from and started working with the red originally because what else says emergency alert than red, right? And um, and then chose to use the gray background because it really offset that red well. And we knew that we wanted to emphasize the, the spike proteins. That was the most important one that we wanted to talk about. And so the other colors that we put into there just sort of complemented that red that we used. And I can say that these colors were definitely the, the way that we wanted to go because I even tested the cooler color palette that, um, that we had to choose from and like the greens and blues and it completely fell flat. It didn't speak to me at all. It, it just didn't say anything. Um, so we knew we need what, what direction we needed to go ahead with. And so that's kind of where the colors came from and where we went from there. And so after we built our structure, there was back and forth with the scientists at CDC to get clearance for this. And also with the uh, people in our creative department as well. So both sides giving the okay on it. So um, it, it's it's a fantastic kind of segue to the next uh, point uh, that we wanted to ask you about, Alyssa, which is while you were speaking about how the image generation for the coronavirus came to be, you kind of spoke and you rattled off some of the terminologies that I think most scientists would know, especially in terms of looking at the genomic sequences or the genomic structure, the phylogenetic tree, and, and the spike proteins, et cetera, et cetera, um, which comes from your experience of working at the CDC, but it also requires a certain degree of understanding of science. And, and although I think people would consider illustration to possibly be a non-scientific topic, I think we want to challenge that idea here and almost kind of go back to some of your roots. And can you actually describe how you ended up doing scientific illustration in the first place. So tell us about your journey okay. and how you got to where you are today. Right. Okay. Yeah. So originally I was always a student of, I'd say science and biology and that sort of thing. Even when I was young, that was one of my, my peak interests, but I was always drawing and doing art on the side as well. Um, I remember in high school, I was loaded up with science and art classes and even through college. Uh, but in, in college, I was a biology major and a pre-vet track, and I was planning on going to veterinary school, and I was in my fourth year of undergrad, and uh, I was working at a veterinary hospital and getting all the experience necessary and everything, but then someone told me, you know, you should look into medical illustration. You know, you have these talents in both fields, and you really seem like someone that would be good for that, so I didn't even know it existed at the time, and I was like, oh, wow, I always wondered who did that sort of thing. Yeah, I, maybe I should look into this. And so I did. I called the UGA program. The University of Georgia had a, an undergraduate degree in scientific illustration that you could get. So I called and talked to the director there. And he's like, yeah, you know, I think this would be a great pick for you. Why don't you come check us out? And so I did that. And so I changed schools, moved an hour and a half away. And my fourth year of college just changed direction completely <laughs> because I just felt like that made so much more sense. I, you know, I loved biology and uh, the idea of doing veterinary programs, but I was always kind of in the middle with that, but with my art classes, I always excelled in, in those classes. So it, it just made sense to me that this is what I was supposed to do. And then after, so I went to the program for two years at UGA and got my degree in interdisciplinary studies in scientific illustration. It's literally a combination of biology and illustration. And then I went, applied to the graduate program at Augusta University. It was called Medical College of Georgia back then. 
and um, went to grad school for two years in medical illustration. And so I should say a medical illustrator is actually a professional with advanced education in science, anatomy, and art. So they they typically will hold a master's degree in medical illustration for one of the programs. And there's only three programs in the U.S., three accredited medical universities. And then there's one in Canada as well. So only a small number of students are actually accepted into these programs each year. And um, yeah, then the master's degree programs can include health sciences with some of the advanced science courses as the medical students. And they, they work on operating room observations, surgical illustration, can be traditional and digital arts, 2D and 3D animation. And so the, the purpose of the medical illustrator is to actually translate this complex biological and medical information into visual representations so that people can easily understand and, and taught to maintain aesthetics and accuracy and clarity all while doing that. So, uh, you know, it really takes a specifically trained individual to be able to do these things, to have both mindsets. Yeah. And, and just going back to the, to the uh, pivot that you actually had from being a fourth year major uh, in the pre-vet program over to medical illustration, that's a pretty gutsy move yeah. uh, at that time. So, what was running through your head? I mean, did you actually feel comfortable and saying that, okay, I'm going to go back to the thing that I was going to enjoy or was it something that was like you were, you were quaking in boots inside? And I was pretty excited about the clarity of what I was about to do. I knew that it was a good choice. I, of course I had people in the background that were telling me, are you crazy? <laughs> you are on the track to you know, be a veterinarian and you want to go do art. <laughs> It sounds weird, but that's, you don't know what medical illustration is. It's actually a pretty good career, career path. So, Sorry to break this up, guys. Just wanted to remind you to rate us on your podcast application. So are you, are you an artist that does science or are you a scientist that does art? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I, I am pretty ingrained in science and I really like the science. So I don't like to say that I don't like to say art necessarily comes first. And it, it, I, for me, it's probably a 50 50 situation. I think a lot of medical illustrators think that way as well. And, and what about, are there, in addition to medical illustration, I mean, you have, it sounds like you found the perfect fit for you, the hybrid of art and, and biology um, are there other opportunities that you know of to marry art and science and, and to make a career of it? Well, there's a lot of medical illustrators that do different things. Some medical illustrators work at, in law firms, for instance, and work in the med legal field. So in the courtroom, you know, to explain uh, an injury, a car crash or something and the, the injury that resulted. Um, people work at different universities, uh, medical device companies, textbooks, uh, all kinds of different things within medical illustration that people do. And then even if within scientific illustration, a lot of that can be like people that you see at museums, the Smithsonian Museum, for instance, think about all the exhibits, the, the signs at the exhibits and the, the animals that are drawn and, or, or plants that are described with illustrations, parts of a plant. So scientific illustrator did that. Yeah. The, which is, which is great. Um, can we, I, I, and I really love that you kind of see yourself as 50-50 in terms of science and art. Um, and I just want to kind of ask you uh, another question about if we just look at 
creativity as a scientific process, which is, I think, what you were you were alluding to, is that there is an element of rigor, there is an element of discipline, and there's an element of curiosity that ultimately underpins what you do. Um, in terms of just the, uh, and I think a lot of people would also uh, want to illustrate some of their uh, especially the audience that we interact with on a day-to-day basis, they actually want to present their information in a very impactful way. And I think, as Jojo said, picture is worth a thousand words here, and you uh, you are a master at it uh, in terms of what you do. So if can you just walk us through elements of what makes something impactful um, in terms of not just eye-catchiness and marketing, but really about when you cre- think through the process of scientific illustration as 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 a, a creative process, what are the things that you actually uh, assimilate and ultimately have to execute such that the messaging comes absolutely clear? And this can be both just illustrations as well as some of the brochures and, and other things that CDC and other organizations like that in the world put out. But to, just talk us through about how to distill that, how do, how you go about creating that aspect of it to ultimately creating an impactful piece at the, as the end product there, uh, Alyssa. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of uh, sort of fundamental core um, teachings that, that work here to sort of start. It could be a design or it could be an illustration. It doesn't matter. They sort of work from the same thought process where you want to start from what what are you trying to teach a person and and whether you if you're working on a graphic design piece your your header is important and you have your small subtitle subheader it comes next and that sort of thing and users eyes follow this predictable reading path you know which these things can be culturally influenced where whether we're talking about left from right and right from left and that sort of thing and so we want to sort of reinforce these natural patterns and lead users along a, like a cleverly constructed path to a desired goal. Or, or sometimes we may even want to break these patterns to highlight a, a focal point to our viewers. And so we think of the visual hierarchy when we're doing presentation of design elements in order of importance. We don't want to have everything the same on the page. Um, people have short attention spans, so we need to catch them quick and, and in your, with your biggest points. And so... We, emphasize, we want to emphasize what you're trying to display to the viewer. If we're talking about a vessel in the brain, for example, we make that the, the heaviest and brightest piece on the page and the most detailed item also. And it sort of can fade away as you move away from that. So we take artistic liberties throughout what we're trying to do. Um, and I guess other little key elements. A lot of times it's uh, better to use odd numbers than even numbers if your elements on the page. Don't center everything. Um, use the rule of thirds when you're laying out pieces and don't try to cram everything into one design. That's the best piece of advice I can give somebody. Uh, we have to work with that all the time. You know, everybody wants to say as much as they can in the little square that they, that they have. So it's good to break it down into multiple pieces or maybe just use that one image as a teaser for your, your manuscript or journal that you have that you want to bring people back to. Um, just don't try to put everything in one piece. <laughs> I think th- this is spectacular advice. At, can I just tell you, I'm going to highlight this and I'm going to put it everywhere I possibly can because I think this is the best advice possible for PowerPoint presentations and conference 
presentations, the, getting rid of the mice type and making sure that that you're really using the appropriate images to convey your message and using them the right way. So on a, on a PowerPoint slide, you don't want to put everything you're saying on the PowerPoint slide, you know, just a few keywords to catch your your attention, but just something to highlight. Deciding on those key messages and filtering them out. I think that's critical. Um, so in, in addition to your now most famous best-selling piece of, of coronavirus art, um, you've worked on a number of other high-profile projects like Zika and last year's um, CDC annual report on antibiotic resistance. And I've, I've gone through that and we'll, we'll include it in the show notes because it's really pretty spectacular artistically. Um, what what has been your favorite image in in your recent portfolio? What's what's been the most fun to work on, and and how did you get there? <laughs> I, people laugh when I say this, but I think the the most fun that I had was the one from the antibiotic resistance threats report. Is the the gonorrhea piece? <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that one because it has a, a lot of these little tendrils to it, and they sort of come alive, and you can make it just become a character in itself. Uh, just this creepy crawly little, it almost reminds me of like a spider or something like that, you know, and it's really like crawling out of the page at you. So I, anyway, I had a lot of fun working on that and just coming up with a concept for it. And I really am pleased with how that one actually turned out. And uh, so that would probably be my number one, I guess. And some other ones from that set. It's artistically very striking, but I think this is probably the only time in history that anybody ever said they had a lot of fun with gonorrhea. Yeah. <laughs> And I've done that one twice now. And, and, and for the listeners, I think we're going to include that as a resource in the show notes here um, because it is a fantastic piece of illustration. And I was actually taken aback at how inviting some of those antibiotic illustrations were, especially with respect to the little cilia uh, and, and hair-like structures and what you would describe as the tendrils, et cetera, were, were coming out, popping out on the page. And I also noticed... Uh, just as a fun aside, that most of them were pink, uh, a bit like it looked like your kids were watching Trolls, the movie, <laughs> and you kind of picked some of those bright colors from that and kind of made um, made that into a, into a different type of illusion. So just talking about the difference in color palettes, to, and to your point earlier about about COVID nineteen uh, versus the, the the antibiotic resistance, and I think I really urge the listeners to actually go and take a look at these, this, uh, the antibiotic resistance resource that we're going to include in the show notes to actually see how colors and depictions and illustrations can actually make something really impactful with completely what appears to me, Alyssa, I'm, I'm no artist, I'm no illustrator. It looks like completely different type of, of color palettes uh, to, to what you use for the, for, for the COVID uh, illustration. And I have to say, part of the reason those colors are what they are in that piece, uh, half the reason, is because they wanted to, it's the gram stain colors, purple and pink, is what we were starting with for those. So we divided those up in that way. But then I also wanted to bring sort of a fun artistic design. I wanted them to be artistic pieces for that set of images, um, almost like something you would see on a wall and in, in your, I don't know if your home, but maybe a doctor's office. I don't know. <laughs> But an art piece is what I was going for and the look and feel for those. And uh, so it was a combination of how can you make it, take something like a gram stain and make it beautiful is what I was going for. Well, it, it definitely came through. And I know you worked on Zika. And instead of going for the biological elements, you went for the mosquito in that one. Can you 
Yes, I did the the 80s Egypti, and then I also did the birth defect of the baby, the microcephaly. Um, I, we did a, I did a, the normal head and then a microcephaly and an extreme microcephaly, um, just to show the very and with the skull as well, and just to show the variations and instruct um, physicians around the world on how to properly measure because there was a very specific placement to measure the head, um, so they would know, you know. Anyway, and instructions on how to do that. Um, but you, you also have, um, you pursue art as a personal passion and can you tell us about what's your favorite medium? What, what do you focus on? Are you a painter, a graphic artist, uh, uh, pen and ink? What's your, what's your personal art portfolio look like? Well, recently, it's, I've been doing a lot of dog portraits. Obviously, I told you I was in, you know, veterinary and all that. So <laughs> I have a lot of dog people um, still, still do a lot of dog stuff. So um, a lot of people have been doing portraits for them. A lot of sort of my COVID projects, I guess. And so I've been doing a lot of graphite and then pen and ink, a lot of basic, uh, non-digital type of work. Non, it's more traditional type of things. And I'm cons- let's see, I did some pen and ink. I'm thinking about doing some watercolor and uh, color pencil next, but basically just traditional stuff. I've done a lot of graphite recently though, for the most part. <laughs> That's great. Um, is there a way that we'll be able to share your portfolio in the show notes? Yeah, sure. I can send you over some dogs <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And, and how, how can people follow you on, on social media or is there, I mean, this is an incredibly compelling, um, field of science and and I'd, I'd like to make sure that people have access to understanding that there's more there are more opportunities to to combine art and science and make it into a career yeah I think the most um, work related sort of social media I have is the it's on Twitter I'm at ek multi ck multi Eckert multimedia is what it stands for so <laughs> right we'll definitely include that too and so once in a while, I post an illustration here and there. Maybe like some of the dogs are up there, for instance. That's great. And other little quirky things about me. <laughs> That's fantastic. So just want to kind of ask you one one kind of final question from our side, which is if you were to give an advice to anybody to make an impactful pitch, presentation, uh, illustration, message, let's just keep it as message, what would be your key elements um, that uh, for a non-technical audience that they should keep in their mind? Yeah, um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is distill your information down to the most important piece of information that you have. You just take out all the excess garbage and focus on what your audience is there to learn and just keep it concise and to the point. I think that's expert advice across the board, whether it's an illustration or scientific communication at, at, at any level. Um, I, I've, I'm really glad that you were able to join us today. I've, I saw that illustration um, earlier this year, not knowing the impact that it would have on our lives. And I think it's fascinating to have a chance to, to interact with the person who created such an, a meaningful image um, and to bring some art into an otherwise ugly situation. So thank you so much for joining us and and we look forward to hopefully you'll have a um, you'll be able to illustrate a vaccine for us. Something nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Thank you.
Our sound editor is Sayantan Chandran. The soundtrack was Digger by Acid Dan. You can find their collections on Apple iTunes Store, Google Play Store, Spotify, and many other platforms. This is Arun and Jojo signing off. Music